All right, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for our next band, Black Oak Conspiracy. What are you doing? What? That's not. That's not. It's not a band. We're going to talk about a movie. It's not a band. And we. Why are you doing an English accent? We have somebody who's English on the podcast. Do not. You don't have to do an English accent. I am mortified. Music. Welcome to the New World Pictures podcast, uh, where we're going to talk about every single movie released by New World Pictures. I'm Ryan. With me, as always, is Mark. Can I get a potato? <laughs> and Erica? <laughs> you can get two potatoes. Spoiler. What was that on the bill? I wonder what she charged. Anyway. <laughs> uh, and also, we join us, we have a very special guest coming to us from the Iron Sequel podcast. Let's give it up for James Lawrence, everybody. Ooh, thank you very much for having me on. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for being here. And we're so excited to talk about this particular film as we dive in. And this is like something we've started to do on the podcast where we started to talk a little bit about some of the exploitation that New World Pictures put out uh, in the 70s. Um, based off of like Macon County Line, which came out a few years before this, also Walking Tall, which sort of really cemented this as a, a kind of subgenre. But uh, New World did a lot of it. And we talked a little <laughs> bit, we've gotten into it just a little bit of it with Cockfighter. But this is now, we're starting to really dip our toes into it. And this is only the beginning. But of course, I'm talking about 1977's Black Oak Conspiracy. Welcome to Black Oak, where they have good old country music, good old country dancing, good old country fun. I'm going to give you something to remember. What? We're going to do it in the sheriff's car. Are you crazy? What the hell is going on around here? And a deadly sequel. Jesse Vint, the man who crossed the Macon County line, is back to break up the Black Oak Conspiracy. Black Oak ain't what it used to be. No one seems to like anyone anymore. Don't get up, boy. I'll teach you a lesson you never forget. Lord, you know I always had a lot of respect for you, and I always felt that you're a hell of a good old boy. Well, hell, I always thought a lot of you too, Jingo. Trouble is, you're always in trouble. <laughs> If I catch you so much as spitting on the sidewalk, you're going to be breaking rocks before you can turn around. He came back to Black Oak. He thought he was coming home, but uncovered a secret that could cost him his life. I don't know what the hell is going on, so help me God damn it, I'm going to nail your ass. You hear me? Lucy, you don't know what the hell you're doing. I feel sorry for you. Don't you waste your sympathy on me. Because you're going to need everything. 
every bit you can get for yourself. Every bit. If you continue to irritate me, you're going to find out that I can be a very mean person. That's a warning. Next time, I'm going to pour kerosene on you and set you on fire. They beat him. Shot at him. Hunted him down. Like a wild animal. But they couldn't stop him from finding out the secrets of the Black Oak Conspiracy. I hope you're going to like this. Black Oak Conspiracy. That is a very thorough trailer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. If you haven't seen it, um, there you go. Uh, Speaking of where you can see this, uh, there is a copy of this on YouTube, but I suggest not watching that because we did. And then we went and watched it again on uh, Shout Factory TV, where it is a unbelievably better version of it, which is on there. James, where did you see this? Same. Um, I, I've had a copy of it kicking around for some time. It was a VHS rip, which I imagine is what's on YouTube. So uh-huh. I, I managed to acquire um, a print that is is of watchable quality, as as with all the films that we've talked about over the years and online and whatnot. You, you, we're in a, a really good period now of being able to watch the best possible prints ever. So I'll always gravitate towards those wherever possible. For sure. Yeah, no, I would definitely recommend doing that. Otherwise, uh, it is not really there. It was a DVD, and I think that is well out of print at this point. So if you want to spend a whole lot of money, you can also buy the disc, but you're going to have to search it down. I would just suggest Shout Factory TV. Now, uh, we came on uh, your podcast, the Iron Sequel podcast, and we talked about uh, Hellraiser 2, which you had not seen before, right? Before yeah, that, that, that was the first time for me. Um, one of the things that I'm enjoying the most about the podcast as well is is that when, <clears throat> excuse me, when guests come on the podcast and they pick something that I haven't seen, that for me is, is the best possible thing. Um, it, it, I can go in fresh. I can, I can see where they're coming from with, with their opinions. And although I was quite negative towards Hellraiser 2 in some <laughs> regards, it's still a lot of fun to go into something uh, and watch that watch a film that the guests have seen many times over and I'm completely new to. So it does give a bit of a different perspective on things. Yeah, no. And uh, I think this one, I don't want to speak for all of us, but I believe this is a first time watch for the rest of us as well. I had never seen this, nor had I ever heard of it, quite frankly. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, and there's plenty of that with New World Pictures where even some of the stuff in the 80s, I feel like I've seen. And then I find stuff that's, that New World Video put out and I'm like, I have never heard of this in my life. So <laughs> this was not one I was super familiar with. I was only familiar with it having done some research on New World and and reading books about it and stuff. So I kind of heard of it that way, but I had never seen it. And this is not your first watch. Right, James? Um, I, I've seen clips before. Um, I, I think I actually fell asleep watching it many, many moons ago. Um, I, I went through a pit. Yeah, <laughs> almost at this time as well, but <laughs> I had some very strong coffee. Um, I, I really, I, I go through kind of periods where I really get into a specific genre, be it music or, or films, and, and that's kind of my thing for however long it, it lasts. And with the kind of um, quotations, exploitation, which is just this really fantastic, unique genre unto itself. Um, they're American films made by American filmmakers, but they're Southern American films made by Southern American filmmakers. And it's as far away 
from Hollywood you could possibly be. Now, I know that a lot of actors got the start with these kind of Dirty South um, action films, obviously like Burt Reynolds and, and Ned Beatty and, um, and and the likes. And it, it's just, it, it's, it's almost a, a, a European way of filmmaking where anything goes. They have just vast areas of land where they can have the craziest car chases and shootouts and that, 90% of the time, they're a hell of a lot of fun as well. Um, and I've, I've really enjoyed um, getting into this this little unique American genre of film. So is this was this a pick for you that you just wanted to uh, watch this one the whole way through, basically? Pretty much, yeah. I, I, like I said, it, it kind of feeds into, uh, as I said, the kind of... Uh, action um car chase which which i've always loved especially with the like the italian euro crime it's just like an american offshoot of those and it's an awesome <laughs> title there's no getting past a black oak conspiracy uh, every time i type in black oak it always comes up with arkansas I'm like right i'm gonna have to listen to the band now as well um but the the, mm-hmm. the title and the cover are, it, it, it really draws you in that it's absolutely awesome yeah, um, it's, and, a, and a great tagline as well. It's a really good poster actually. Yeah, and a uh, good little tagline there. Uh, yeah. Isn't quite, is a little slightly deceptive about what the movie is, but let's, mm. let's, let's dive in. So blackout conspiracy is directed by Bob Keljam, uh, who directed uh, a few movies, scream, blackula scream and count Yorga vampire in the early seventies. But he had done a lot of TV and went on to do more TV. He had done a ton of episodes of Charlie's Angels and Starsky and Hutch, which makes sense because this like has it. a real yeah. this is a real TV vibe, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more later. This is actually written by the star Jesse Vint. Uh, it was based on a script originally written by Hugh Smith or Hubert Smith. He co-wrote the movie The Glove, and he also co-wrote uh, Moonshine County Express, which comes out not only the same year but the same month. So talk about Mm. doubling down on the exploitation vibe here from New World. But I believe Jesse Vint sort of bought the, he says he bought the script from him and then just sort of rewrote it himself and uh, and then got the money together to make it. He was coming out off of uh, 1974's Macon County Line, which he starred in with his brother Alan. And that really is the reason why I think he got the money to make this, because it's a similar type vibe to this film Mm -hmm. as well. Which, by the way, Macon County Line was directed by Richard Compton, who had directed Angels Die Hard, which uh, we we know from our (laughs) long lost uh, first episode where we tried to talk about three films in one episode, (laughs) Uh, three biker films. It was was a bit ambitious. That's Uh, now locked in. It's locked in a vault. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, This is not the last thing he would do for New World. He also was in Death Sport. Which he got that job simply because he actually could ride a motorcycle really well, and, <laughs> and he does ride one uh, in this as well, right? So, um, unless I'm remembering a different movie, <laughs> could it could happen? He also then goes on to be the star of Forbidden World, which is another movie we'll talk about. So this is not his first time around New World, but let's get into what this movie is about. Let's go around and find out what's this movie about. James, let's start with you real quick. What's this movie about? It's a hard-boiled revenge film, um, pretty much cut and dry. We, we, as I say, there the, the seems to be this this real love for, for the kind of hard-boiled tough guy, like, I'm going to get my gun, I'm going to get my pickup, I'm going to go get revenge. <laughs> those, those three things <laughs> that, that any anti-hero needs. Um, and, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cut and dry, but I do think that, there is the conspiracy element that comes into play, albeit kind of, you know, a bit flimsy, shall we say, to use the term. And uh, 
yeah, it, it's just kind of shoehorned in towards the back end um, after about an hour or so of, of, of kind of so-so tepid um, drama <laughs> and, and it kind of kicks it up a notch as well. But but yeah, it, it's effectively like the, the synopsis does the, does the plot incredibly well. Um, guys after revenge, his mother dies and goes after the big corporations. That's pretty much that. That's it. Uh, Mark, what is this movie about? Um, that small town talent shows are really not worth attending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Uh, Erica, what is this movie about? I think that this movie is really just, um, you know, it's a statement piece on the cost of American healthcare. You know, mm-hmm. a woman had to trade her entire farm to be taken care of. <laughs> she literally had to give away the farm or whatever that whatever that saying is. Yeah, it's well, a deep thought piece yeah, about it everything is. that's wrong with our luck- medical system. Luckily, that's just from the 70s, and we worked that all out since yeah. then. We've, now. <laughs> we've worked out all the kinks since the then. <laughs> um, now, it's funny, because I felt this was a movie that was about a small-town hero who fights corruption and also manages to teach youngsters as well during the day. So, I mean, you know, because... <laughs> Because we'll get into it, we'll find out the true hero of this film is not exactly Jesse Finn. <laughs> now, here's what Letterbox says. Uh, we're on Letterbox. I think you're on Letterbox as well, right, James? Yeah, uh, Blazing Magnums, which is, has been my Twitter handle since day one. So, um, yeah, you can go on there and, and read all my kind of insane one-liner reviews. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much, it's pretty much just, and uh, I do. It's, yeah, it's pretty much just specifically used for logging these days. It's. Uh, kind of taking on a bit of a life of its own, that side these days. Yeah. Um, uh, here's a letterbox synopsis, which ha- really does vary uh, in quality from film to film, as we uh, sort of mentioned this. But this one seems pretty dead on, which is an average Joe is pitted against a crooked sheriff and unscrupulous land grabbers in this tale of small town corruption and revenge. So, I mean, fairly accurate. I don't know. Yeah how average a Joe is when you're in Hollywood stuff. Yeah. But like, oh, I mean, but the rest of it, yeah, I mean, pretty much. If you drive an El Camino, you are an average Joe. That's that's what it's saying. That's what <laughs> that's what legitimizes him as an average Joe. Uh, just, you know, and yeah. what yeah. an El Camino it is. It's got the side exhaust. I mean, it really, this movie made me look up. I was looking up and researching El Camino's. All the different variants of El Caminos, you know, you know, they made them up until 1989. Oh. Like we had until 89, you could buy an El Camino, oh, and then wow. the El Camino was replaced. Uh, uh, was eventually replaced. Oh, now I'm missing it. Was eventually replaced by the Chevrolet SSR. Do you? Remember, it, it that was the like sort of mm. faux 90s, uh, 50s style pickup truck. How could you take an El Camino and try to replace it with such an ugly vehicle? But uh, anyway, yeah. I I think that ever you know, <laughs> our our grandfather drove an El Camino like exclusively for the entire oh, time that we knew him, yeah. and uh, I consider him my our grandfather to be a very average Joe. So you know, when I see someone in an El Camino, <laughs> I'm like, that's an average Joe right there. He, uh, though, his El Camino, he, he uh, got an upgrade and made sure he got the gun rack on the back. So he made sure that... Wait, your grandpa or Jingo? <laughs> Jingo. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, back then, in 1977, that was an option at Chevrolet. You just, do you want the gun rack or not? Do you, you want side exhaust? Do you want gun rack? What do you want? <laughs> um, 
this movie opens with a big stunt and a giant explosion, and then a fist fight in a diner parking lot. Was did it promise a more exciting film than it delivered? Yes, it did. Yeah, one thousand percent. Because because it, it it kicks in straight away with the car chasing. You're like, right here we go, yeah. brilliant. This is exactly what I'm after. And then obviously you quickly realise that it's it's this it's a movie scene and it's it's all gone a bit pear shaped and. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of promise delivered within those first five minutes, which doesn't necessarily get delivered again for another fifty five or so. But I, I do I, I, with the returning hero, a kind of plotline that's that, that's a through line throughout the film as well. And is as soon as he goes back to his old town, there's always going to be that one person who doesn't know of his legend, and is always up for the challenge. And it it's just some kind of like meathead who works on an oil rig, or I, I don't know what he was doing. He's, he's clearly working for the. Uh, for, for the the people who were buying up all the land, but he he doesn't know who Jingo is. How dare he not? And, and ends up getting in a little ruckus yeah. with him. Yeah, I, and the name. I really thought for a minute that this was like a not a name, but a Django film. I was. I really thought for a minute. I was like, is his name Django? <laughs> oh, this is interesting. Well, because we watched the terrible quality copy first. Yes, right. Not only was it grainy and difficult to see, but I felt like the sound was a little wonky. I'm sure it was. So I wasn't sure if his name was Jinko, Django, Jingle. Like yeah. I had no, I was constantly confused about what Jingle Johnson would have been a great name. <laughs> Maybe that's his porn name. That's <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> It would have changed the complexity of the of the movie to have them keep saying like "Get out of town, Jingle." You know, it just doesn't have the same impact. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But luckily, Jingo. Oh yeah, he he's so he gets a. By the way, he gets uh, on set when we break that whole scene, and he's lit on fire, and then he takes the fire suit off. Then he's delivered a letter uh, on the set of this movie. Um, I just want to say, like, getting mail on set is nothing I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> that's not something that happens also how do you even send it to the set just right. send your mail here to the set just write up set you know movie set of uh i don't know car chase movie uh pair of jingo johnson <laughs> like how does that even how do you even send that out there to hollywood <laughs> plus and does do you have on a set an assistant that opens the letter opens the envelope pre-reads it and goes, oh, I know. I'll give it to this person. I'll wait until the scene's over. Wait until until they put out the fire, <laughs> then I'll give it to him. Yeah. There's definitely PAs. And that felt like he was getting a, you know, production assistant comes up and hands him that letter. So I was like, that part's real. How the letter gets to him, I don't know. I don't know how you do that. But he does head back home because this guy loves his mom, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, one yes, he loves his mom, but one could argue uh, he's let he's let things get a little out of hand by the time he gets that letter. Like he he's his mom has already <laughs> given up her home and is dying in in a in a retirement community that presumably he didn't even really know any of this had happened. So he's he hasn't really been paying attention for a while. But I won't, that doesn't uh, preclude. So he's a terrible son. <laughs> he's a terrible son. He, he loves his mom. He's a terrible son. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think that's the distinction. Like, yeah. you can still be a terrible son, but really love your mom. I think that's what this film's trying to teach us. Mm -hmm. um, he's, he's basically also left uh, his hometown, gone to Hollywood, and forgotten about literally almost everyone. In his life, so his mom's not just the only person, um, and he's 
barely making it. So it's like, wow, you really were like, fuck you, everyone. I'm going to Hollywood. See you around. Um, but it seems like barely making it was kind of the nobody in town other than Harrison, you know, right. and that whole family right. is really doing super well. Right. I That's mean, true. You know. Yeah. Everyone seems to be. He I, was I mean, just poor somewhere else. He was just poor in another city. Yeah. Deep thoughts, right? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> well, it is kind of a little bit of, uh, as we, as, as James was saying, like we get that first hour is a little bit of a guy who's left his hometown and gone on to bigger things. Um, and, and sort of his story of kind of catching back up with everybody. Yeah. Uh, as you have also left your hometown, Erica, a small hometown in the Midwest, and come out to L.A., did you see any similarities to your own journey? Oh, when I, well, of course, as soon as I land, I get in a fist fight immediately. That's, that always happens. Yeah. You know, yeah. I walk in and, you know, an yeah. old pal's like, hey, maiden name. And I'm like, what? And then we immediately fight. Um, you know, my gun is constantly being stolen out of my El Camino. Right, right. You know, and your, then, your home El Camino. You immediately come home, yeah. take the tarp off your El Camino. Yeah. Lift the tarp off and check on my gun. <laughs> Yeah, I'm wondering, like, James, is this also, like, is this a unique American story to your to your vantage point? I mean, you you spent some time in Oklahoma, right? This is, like, a little bit of... <laughs> oh, Bonnie <laughs> Brett, yeah. yeah. Take that's me where home, you, that's, that's where you get this accent, right? Like, it's a little bit of... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that's it. No, no, I'm, I'm very much my... my um, my trips to America have always been uh, rooted in the East Coast. Um, I'm, a, I'm a city guy. I, I would love, absolutely love to do Nashville and and, and really, especially with the, the music I've gotten into over the past 18, um, 18 or so months, um, a lot of music that my 18-year-old self would have absolutely lynched me for. <laughs> but I, I really have really gotten into a lot of the the, the, the music and and reading about bands and people that have come from that space as well. Um, I mean, it's... It's not a million miles away from a lot of these these kind of like southern revenge films. The, the, the only thing with this is I think it's, it's kind of deviating away. Um, and like you said, around healthcare and things like that, there is a bit of an allegory there for that. But at the end of it, it's just a, a kind of copy and paste revenge movie. It's the kind of film that they would have been absolutely desperate to get someone like Joe Don Baker yeah. or Burt Reynolds to try and star in. Um, but like you say, it was, it was Jesse Bentley picked up and he wanted that to be the vehicle for himself. So it's nothing new in, in terms of what the revenge arc to the story I'm just curious is. about your perspective in terms too of, you know, when you, when you talk about this being like almost this subgenre being almost like Italian crime films, which I, I just think is, I have to, again, I don't want to speak for all three of us, but it, it, when I look at these exploitation films, I don't look at them as that's in that same kind of vein because I because we are obviously all American and, we, you know, we grew up in America, <laughs> which is part of the deal when you're an American um, <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't want to paint with such a broad brush, but it is generally. <laughs> no, I, I so I just wonder, like looking at it from that perspective, is there something like I think sometimes like some of the music that might get played, which is like a little bit like silly. Like we had, I, I, I don't know your uh, access to, I know a lot of American TV went across the Atlantic, but like there's, there's a, such a Dukes of Hazard vibe that I'm trying to get past sometimes with exploitation films, because obviously Dukes of Hazard sort of uh, capitalized on those kinds of films 
and sort of made them this sort of camp uh, TV experience that I loved as a kid. But I'm trying to, like, not have that inform me when I watch these kinds of movies. And it's kind of hard to turn that off because it just feels a little hokey and silly. But you are coming from it from a different angle. So I'm just curious, like, is there something to this that uh, that you enjoy all that sort of kitschy stuff? Much like when I watch Eurocrime films, I'm, I'm loving a lot of that stuff. And I know that actually comes from, like, a very real sort of difficult uh, and, and tragic era in Italy. So, which I've, so I'm, but I'm looking at it from a different angle where I'm enjoying all the Eurocrime stuff uh, in maybe a different way than an Italian would. So that, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. I mean, it, it, historically speaking, um, especially being late thirties, a, a majority of my, my knowledge of, of, of American film um, before I really took the step up into the, the kind of stuff I'm doing now, which happened many moons ago, uh, was based on what you see in pop culture. So the, the South was always kind of lampooned as, like you say, it's, it's just redneck country. Um, if you're not on any, either of the coasts or, or you're, you know, you're in a, a northern city, it's like you, I really do apologize, but they, they are generally represented as kind of like yokels mm-hmm. in, 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 you know, media and, and pop culture, which, which we watched. And like I say, it was, it was only up until the point of being an adult. And I was watching films like Hooper and Gator and, and those kind of early Burton Reynolds films. And, and you, you're starting to see the, the there is a, quite a bit of flair in these films as well. Yeah, and um, if you think of a film like, if you feel, think of a film like Framed with, with Joe Don Baker, yeah. like these are tough, hard, hard films um, where a fight scene would be, right, you two just go at it. If someone gets hurt, it'll be on camera. It doesn't really matter. And it's it's, it, it's almost a bit of a no-holds-barred approach to, to filmmaking as well. And there always is, seems to be like a, a core template to these films as well. And you, you have your hero, he'll have his sidekick, a, a kind of best friend. There'll be some kind of corrupt um, city official, be it a policeman or a, a councilman. And it, it, the, the, the template's there. It's just how the different people work with them. And, and Roger Corman um, gets the best out of these films as well. Um, it, it, they're always like a, a, a leap off point for, for actors and, and directors who go on to do bigger and better things. Yeah, maybe not this particular one, but um, in, terms, maybe, maybe in terms of the director, because <laughs> I don't, I don't think that Bob Keljan went on to, to. I mean, he definitely had a nice long career, but I, I, I don't know if he has the leaping off point uh, or the legacy of, say, like Monty Hellman with Cockfighter or something mm. like that. Um, so uh, let's get into uh, the sheriff. Once we get into town and uh, Jingo sort of gets around, we meet the sheriff, uh, which is played by Albert Salmi. He plays also plays the sheriff in Moonshine County Express. So this is a big month for him. And yeah, he definitely mm-hmm. looks like a small town American sheriff. Um, but can we talk about his office, which is a real <laughs> fishbowl situation located between ABC sales and the realtor office? Yeah. And I also like the way that it was it was structured with the two desks where the deputy sat in front of directly in front of him. And then he sat behind the deputy. There is like no room at all in this place. And it's not like they have like, it says sheriff office on the window in like a little, like sort of half moon at the top. And normally you'd see like, maybe like a, uh, in like a shield, you know, like a, Mm. but but there's not, it's just windows. So you can really like, you're walking by, you can get a good view of what's happening in the police station. It's like uh, it's like they took over a, a, a vacant call center and just moved in. 
(laughs) This is now the sheriff's Uh, office. Should we move these desks around? Nah, they're fine exactly where they are. Just we'll stay close. This way I can watch what's on your monitor at all times. I mean, you don't have a monitor because it's 1977, (laughs) but I can watch what you're doing at all times. And his his kind of introduction as well is is it's not as intimidating as you'd expect uh-huh. from a county sheriff. He, I think, is he stuck there with like a fly swatter or something <laughs> at the window? <laughs> just You're expecting him to be stuck there with like a big 12-gauge shotgun, but no, he's just there with a fly swatter, just like <laughs> doing his neighborly sheriff thing. Also, the dumb Deputy Bullard, by the way, is played by uh, James Gammon, who I remember most from Major League. And I was shocked at looking at IMDb. I would never have known that it was the same guy if had I not been looking this up on IMDb and been like, wait, James Gammon is that guy? Like, never would have thought it. Never. <laughs> he also was in Macon County Line, so we're just having a real uh, Macon County Line uh, reunion in this. Maybe it was they were just all in the same set, and they were like, well, while we're here, we have this <laughs> other script that maybe we can just do since we're all right. here anyway. Yeah, I mean, let's just And we'll let's just, just go do ahead. this. I mean, you've already got the these sheriff outfits on, these sheriff right. costumes. Let's just put them to work. <laughs> and we spent all this money on this retail location for the sheriff's office. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, they really had to move in for a little while. That probably was a big expense. Yeah. Well, they had to get at least a, a month lease. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So as we were saying, as Jingo goes around town, um, he's meeting sort of his old buddies, including his old pal Homer, which is a real country name, (laughs) Um, which is played by Seymour Cassell, who is like basically one of the the other big star of this film. But Seymour Cassell had been um, nominated for Best Supporting Actor in 1968's Faces. So he was like a big get for them. And he is mm-hmm. clearly not bothered by the fact that Django not only dated his sister, but then kind of ditched her to go su- to go after his Hollywood stuntman dreams. And like he just <laughs> is like, when he shows up, he's just like, hey, like he's not bothered by a lot. Yeah. So very chill, yeah, super chill. chill about a lot of stuff very that chill. he just did. Like I don't, yeah, it's interesting that he's that it, none of those issues complicated their friendship. Yeah, he seems like he seems like a bit of a hard boozer as well, so it could be easily forgiven. Yeah. And his sister doesn't know how to wash a car. So, I mean, he recognizes that, you know, it, it was okay for Jingo to leave her. She's got to figure some things out. Yeah, he's like uh, a teacher, which in this town essentially means you're the town genius, apparently. So, and then his sister... <laughs> And then his sister like can't even wash a car, so he's like, I don't know, I don't know you've seen her, but good luck to you. <laughs> well, yeah. So, so yeah, and he gets offered a drink early, and he this is the, the, he's made to be you know the friend, the ally, the 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 also the person that understands or has been keeping an eye on the what's going on in the town, even though he's done really nothing to prevent it or do anything about it. But he is sort of the ears to the ground in the town of like, this is what's been going on since you've been gone. But uh, I don't know where I was going with that. I'll just leave that. That's all no, I got to no, say. If I'm done. Good night, everybody. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the, the, the scene where he, and, and he really is a homer, by the way, when you, there's, there's something about Seymour Cassell's face and he's, he, he's like a, a proper 
actor from the kind of school of Cassavetes as well. So he, he, he can you can put him into any role and he'll, he'll pretty much excel in it. But it, it, I'm sure there's a lot. I did watch it quite late on Friday, but I'm sure there's a line he says he was actually writing to him as well. So mm-hmm. if he mm-hmm. was had his ear to the ground so much as to what was going on in Black Oak, why wouldn't he have mentioned that previously? So there's a lot of kind of relationships that really need questioning here because no one's doing anyone a solid. Everyone's keeping their the news right. to themselves. Well, speaking of, speaking of that, this is a really bad conspiracy, right? I mean, so yeah. you're going to yeah. have people go into a, a retirement home and make them a deal. You're already pres- presuming that these people have no money. And so you're going to make them a deal that they can stay at the retirement home for free as long as they give up their land. And then they're going to sell it to a mining company. Mm-hmm. And you have to, there's a lot of people that are in play here. So what is the person running the retirement community going to get out of this? Because they've got to keep, they got to hold up their end of the bargain. It, it, it just fe- feels like this is a, this is a simple plan that could easily fall apart at any time. All you need is one person to be like, actually, I, I don't need you to take my land. I have health insurance. So, <laughs> right. That's, <laughs> they meet that one person and they're screwed. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> also, like, how much land does the mining company need? It's, it, it's a huge quarry. Like, they need even more land? Which also begs the question how many people in this town are living on quarryable land? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, apparently only two, according to this movie just Jingo's mom and then the, the other old man who was her neighbor. I think what was more upsetting to me about the nursing home situation was the staff. I mean, are there no rules and regulations about how they should look when they're servicing patients? <laughs> I mean, that nurse, nurse, the nurse looked crazy. Oh, okay. Yes. She was a crazy person. She had on like gray tights and a green and white polka dot bow in her hair. <laughs> like she just looked like a crazy, she looked like a clown. Yes. That's Mary Wilcox who plays the nurse who was also in the Beast of the Yellow Knight, which also came out for New World. And by the way, Erica's quote when we watched the movie was, no offense, but the nurse looks like a drag queen. No offense to drag queens. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really does. And then getting back, because getting back to the sheriff, the sheriff at one point, if you guys remember, his wife makes a very brief cameo. Very brief cameo. She pops in, and she's clearly just in for the night. She's washed her face. She's in jams. I can relate. She's having a Miller Light yeah. or a Miller High Life. And she just simply asks him why he's dolling himself up to go out, and he's like, "Because you look like something a wolf shat out." Like over the can, like basically, she's like, yeah, it's it's you look like you look like something a wolf ate and shit over a cliff. Yeah, (laughs) wow, wow, yeah. And then he's going to go meet up with the drag queen at the nursing home. I mean, really, like, I don't. So he wants the extreme opposite of that. He wants someone so overly made up that they don't look real. They look like they're wearing a mask of a person. Face. <laughs> got a type. So he goes to meet up with her. In the meantime, the the young couple, well, the the, the young couple are making out in a car. Yeah. And and this is the drag queen's daughter, or yeah. I don't remember yeah. the relationship. Yeah, it here. is the the nurse the nurse drag queen's daughter mm-hmm. is the one who's also the waitress <laughs> at the diner, and also the girl that he picks up in the very very beginning, who's hitchhiking to get to work. Right. So her mom's clearly like too busy at the nursing home to bother to drop her off. Uh, and that is um, uh, Janice Blythe, 
who plays that part. She was in also an Eaten Alive and The Hills Have Eyes uh, all in 1977. Oh. So it's a, a big year. By the way, The Hills Have Oops. Eyes was also scored by Don Peake, who scores this movie. Yes. So interestingly enough. So it's a big, wow. big year, big year for Janice. Wow. <clears throat> but yes, you were saying, mm-hmm. Mark. So they're they're making out, and uh, her boyfriend has is as they they call it uh, a cherry. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's his, it's going to be his first time. Mm-hmm. Now that's going to be a tense enough moment for anyone. Yep. To up the ante and say, "Let's go ahead and try this in the sheriff's car." Yep. Seems like a an un an unnecessary amount of stress to put on someone for their first time. It's like you're already, he's already got a lot of performance anxiety. So, <laughs> right. That just seems, uh, uh, that's, uh, I mean, it's, it's certainly bound to fail. I also appreciated when they jump from that car to the sheriff's car, she doesn't pull her shirt down. She just keeps herself exposed running across the front lawn of the, of the house. Mm-hmm. I thought well, she is committed. She's committed to making this happen for this guy. Yeah. She, she also has a lot more faith in him than I feel like she should because he, she has uh, overalls on and he cannot figure out how to get that off. Yeah, he can't remove he overalls. He can't remove overalls. They're like the easiest thing in the world. Right. They're not even complicated like a bra, which luckily yeah. he doesn't have to worry about because he's not wearing one. But <laughs> like he can't even, he's just yanking yeah. on those overalls. He can't, undo, he can't undo a piece of clothing that you put on a child. <laughs> right. He can't leap over the giant hurdle that is a pair of overalls, but certainly yeah. he can do well performing in a sheriff's vehicle. That's also <laughs> basically the titty count, right, Erica? Yeah. Well, there is another sort of titty count later. No, you get the nurse. You get the nurse, okay. but then also fast forward much later in the barn. Yes, 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 yes. Sort of oh, yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, let's go back. Let's talk about that sister. She's played by Karen Carlson, who was in Student Nurses for New World, and she was also in the Chuck Norris movie, The Octagon. And I just wanted to say, like, when Jingo comes in and hasn't seen her in a very long time, his first move to say to somebody who he has ditched and never bothered to contact while he was gone in Hollywood was to just say, well, can I get a kiss? Bold, isn't bold. it? Very bold. Sorry I left and never bothered to write you ever, but how about a kiss? Now I'm back? Yeah. That's bold. Yeah, I agree. That Erica, was when you go back to the town that you grew up in and you run into any of your old friends, do you start with, like, can I get a kiss? Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hi, baby. Hook her up. Um, also just quickly, uh, because we, we, we just talked about the sheriff's wife. I just want to let James know that, uh, you look like something the wolf ate and shit over a cliff is not an American expression that, <laughs> that I have ever heard of. <laughs> That's a great point. Because it also felt exceptionally mean because of yes. that. He wasn't like, like, oh, you look like something the cat dragged in. He specifically said something a wolf ate Mm -hmm. and shat out. Like, first of all, how far into wolf poop has that guy gone? Yeah. Like, he Mm -hmm. seems to have an intimate knowledge of wolf poop. (laughs) It's not a huge town. I imagine he (laughs) deals with wolves a lot of the time. I mean, that was, it was so mean. Well, well, you had Smokey and the Bandit the same year. And if you compare and contrast, like, Booth T. Justice as as, as another kind of... uh, 
Sheriff with with absolutely stellar one-liners. It does seem to be whoever's writing these films is just like, let's just throw whatever we can out there and just get it to stick to the wall. It's like, wolf, yeah, shit, eight, yeah, cliff, boom, we've got it. It's just like throwing dartboards at words and seeing what comes up. It also felt like uh, kind of a bummer for the actress who, by the way, is Joanne Strauss, who doesn't go on to a whole lot else. But uh, as Erica was pointing out, it seems like a bummer that that's your role. Like, hey, mom and dad, I got cast. As ugly ass sheriff's wife yeah. in blackout conspiracy. Yeah, at the premiere, they're like, Joanne, Joanne, you ugly bitch. Look over here, you piece of old shit. Let's get your picture. <laughs> like, that's a hard one to brag about. Guys, you see my new movie? I play a fucking ugly ass hag. <laughs> but you were you were so good. I believed it. I totally believed it. You were so good in that role. You look like shit. You look like real shit in that movie. Good job. All right, let's jump to like uh, the chase. Uh, there is a chase in this movie, and the reason he's able to get around and somehow pull off a giant stunt move in his car, <laughs> uh, Jingo's able to do that. I don't know, but um, is the only reason why he seems to be able to get away is because he puts a potato in the tailpipe. Yeah. But I have a question. How does that affect the siren of a police car? I mean, I know you have a. Somehow the siren also goes meow, like does it somehow affect the electronics to have the exhaust not be able to get out? I don't know how that works. Really, really hope that Martin Brest of, of Beverly Hills Cop fame has seen this and it's like his favorite film. Because obviously he comes from, I'm going to pop me a potato, a potato pipe. <laughs> just, I, I, could, I just could not help think. I was just like chuckling myself all night of, of like some kind of redneck take on Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was my, that, that really tickled me that. But yeah, how the circuitry of um, exhausts and, and electrics going in a car go together is, is just a mystery to me. Do you think in Beverly Hills Cop they had intended to do a potato in the tailpipe but ran into some copyright infringement with this movie and had to switch it to a banana? Just what I had on them. <laughs> also, if you run the car long enough, do you actually get – does you smoke the potato in the tailpipe and you can eat it afterwards? Oh, that's a good call. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing hmm. like, a, like a soft potato with gasoline fumes. <laughs> just give it a quick wash it'll be fine smoky so uh we we talked a little bit too about the sister lucy she she goes out on another date with harrison which ends up with jingo punching him she says take me home and he takes her to a barn yeah. which we all know what that means uh-huh right in yeah. southern parlance <laughs> <laughs> a dance isn't it that's what he wants to take her to a dance yeah yeah of sorts is this how things go in small towns? Is this is this so taking me home is code for take me to a barn? Yeah. Like when he pulls up to the barn, she's probably like, I mean, she, yeah, she knows the score. Shit. She knows what's gonna happen. All right, she here we go. They're there to like you know milk some cows. Once they get to the barn and they're inside inside the barn, he's like sitting in the window looking out away from her and she's behind him like on a bale of hay and she's like starts asking questions so like you brought her to a barn instead of home which she asked for specifically and now you're just gonna like stare out at the moon what is happening here i i can't rule out that she doesn't live in a barn <laughs> <laughs> it's, true. it's true i mean it's it's entirely possible that he's looking out the window thinking to himself you live here 
<laughs> I didn't. I mean, I thought you were living with your brother, but I guess you just bring your car over there to wash it, and then you come back over here to live. <laughs> you don't want to muddy up the front of your barn by washing your car in front of it. No, no. no. I do like after that scene as well. How, how everything's kind of forgiven and he's like he's on her arm she's on his arm and it's like oh yeah everything's kind of forgiven like the past however many months of him being in america uh, la sorry he's uh just completely out of the window he's won her over now with the uh, the barn trip yeah because like he has dated her left her never written her come back in waltz back into town and said hey let's start kissing again and being together but i guess harrison did one bad thing or said like just take her if you want her and she was like well then to hell with you I'm back with Jingo like <laughs> wow like that's not I mean that's not too at least he took her out to a talent show yeah so this is your argument pro Harrison <laughs> so, you, so, you're, so if I'm understanding this you are team Harrison yeah, I, I didn't think I was heading into this podcast but I mean I, I don't know now that we're here I'm kind of feeling wow. like what's the hatred just because Harrison has a mustache Wow, and because he wears uh, like one piece suits, like onesies, all the time. He's got money. He's yeah. literally, I think, they're the only family in town with money. Mm-hmm. So much so that the sheriff is willing to do a lot of terrible things just to get some of that money. Yeah, because there's no money in town. There's one business, and it's mining. Well, there's two businesses: mining and nursing home. <laughs> That's right, nursing home and mining. Because the richest guy in town owns a nursing home. Yeah. I didn't realize that was such a lucrative business. But and and Harrison, Harrison does. I, I uh, one knock on Harrison is he does have some daddy issues mm, that uh, you know that's going to rear its ugly head at some point. And so she's she's dating him, but she knows like you know they go to the talent show on the drive home, maybe drive to the talent show. He's complaining about his dad the whole time, so you can understand why she's like, look, I, I also I don't want to be with you because. You really have to get over this situation with your dad. He's overbearing. He's ruling your life. Um, you, you, you know, you're a grown man. You have to live your own life. I mean, I'm just thinking that there was a lot more conversation going on between the two of them that we didn't. Maybe that's in the director's cut that you really get to understand <laughs> Harrison's motivation. And but he also has dad issues because Harrison's dad seems to be the only dad in town. <laughs> like Jingo's dad is not in the picture. Nope. nope. Homer and Lucy's dad is not in the nope. picture. I mean, the um, the nurse, her husband is not in the picture. Yeah. I mean, there are no da- there's no other dads. The sheriff does not seem to have yeah, kids. The sheriff is childless, so <laughs> and hates right. hates children. I think that was a wise choice for him. He hate, he hates wives and children. Yeah, and wolves. If we're being fair, <laughs> <laughs> is is sucking on a helium tank a talent? Hmm. I mean, I guess like owning helium is probably the talent. Like, <laughs> you know, she bought her own helium. So, I mean, she's my top pick for if I have to find a winner. Well, she's my top pick. Is that what is that what they're mining in the town? They're just mining helium. <laughs> if you want helium, you got to go to Black Oak. Yeah. By the way, oh, um, the guy who plays Harrison is uh, Robert F. Lyons, who is also in Avenging Angel. So we'll see him again. Oh. Nice. Um, by the way, while while Jingo is just working out his his uh, personal life, <laughs> the true hero of this film, Seymour Cassell uh, as Homer, 
is running tests on Jingo's mom's medicine at the lab at school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Forgot about this. <laughs> Does he teach at a high school or a college? Is there a college in this town? Like, what kind of lab do they have where they can run? I don't know. Maybe it's different in England, James. Uh, are your high school labs, like, really high tech where you can bring in, like, a... a like a piece of like just a little pill and figure out all the different components of it. I mean, um, we, we, we have, uh, yeah, we have, um, Bunsen burners and, and human guinea pigs. So uh, part of me thinking was thinking he said, I'm going to go to the lab. It's just a meth lab somewhere. Maybe it's at the, maybe it's at the back of Lucy's barn. <laughs> That's where it does all his testing. Just puts it in, gives it a little shake. He's like, this is, uh, this is going to kill everybody. So, um, yeah. Or oh, whatever his, uh, his his high level clinical uh, diagnosis was of the, was of the drug. Yeah, I was like, where's he? What kind of lab? I just know from my own uh, high school experience, it was never like, oh man, let's take this thing into the lab tomorrow and we'll figure out all its different components. Like that was not anything I dealt with. I don't know about you, <laughs> you you guys, Mark and Erica. Uh, no, uh, but then again, I also never asked. <laughs> I never brought in a pill and said, hey, yeah. could we maybe break this down and figure out what this is? So maybe that's on me. Maybe my high school had that the whole time and I just didn't know. <laughs> but um, is there a college in this town? I have to imagine no. I have to think that he's a high school teacher. Must be. No, there's like a there's <laughs> there's like an ITT tech. That's what they've got in this town. <laughs> Uh, Erica was like, well, the college, if it's a college, it's like a few towns over. Like yeah. he's got quite a commute. Yeah. He's got quite the drunken commute to yes. make every day to get I mean, over I to college. It's admirable that he is, you know, when we first meet him, it's very obvious he has a drinking problem. You know, he's drinking at 10 a.m. in the morning, but he, it doesn't seem to slow him down. Does that mean you have, does that mean you have a problem? <laughs> Wait, hold on. Is that indicative of Sounds a problem? more like a solution. <laughs> just, just what? <laughs> If, if if you wait till 10.30, are you yeah, cool? Yeah, you gotta wait till it gets closer to brunch. <laughs> but he see, it doesn't slow him down at all. He's still able to kind of get stuff to the lab. He doesn't have an issue driving. He, you know, it really kind of... And also has his finger on the pulse of the town. Like he's able to get all the dirt and information. Yeah. Because I guess everyone's like, well, what are you going to do? You're just a teacher. Teachers, who knew? They were like so hooked in to yeah. the underground. The other thing is, is that once he does figure out what's in the pill, like this conspiracy, this one is solved fast. <laughs> like as soon as he figures out what's in the pill, then he had the whole thing solved. Yeah. Yet the movie goes on and on and on. <laughs> there's, there's so much when you think of films like this that are clearly made with a, with a shoestring budget and, and maybe again, a cast that, that aren't going to be winning awards anytime soon, but just tiny little tweaks you could make here and there because the the, the doctor who administers these pills at the, the care home is clearly in on this conspiracy. And you could have right. just a tiny cut scene with him speaking to, um, oh, what's he called? Uh, Harrison's father or something like that. Just, just these little asides that you would see and you go, oh, right, I get this now. And just people acting shady. And it's, it's it yeah, like I say, it takes the... Uh, the, the Seymour Cassell character Homer to just blow the doors wide open as if it's like some kind of three days of the condo parallax view uh, conspiracy that's going on. And it's, it's not, it's just, just rich people being bastards at the end of the day. It's nothing, <laughs> there's no deep throat or, or anybody uh, at work like that. It's uh, it's very cut and dry as far as conspiracies go. Really? It feels like maybe 
this isn't that deep of a conspiracy to solve because you're right. There's the doctor, the sheriff's involved, and the one really rich guy in town. It feels like, I mean, that's a lot of our cast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of people already. Like that's uh, that's that's probably going to be known by just about everybody. I guess that's why he figures it out so fast. Because as soon as he finds out that that pill isn't any good, then it's like, oh well, shit. I, here's what's clearly happening. Because we all should know it's just not that big of a town. In fact, the only people that aren't involved is maybe jingo and homer and and uh but almost everybody else has got to know something about it including our nurse friend who ends up on the other side of it once the sheriff decides well i will blame this all on jingo and steal his gun and make him the fall guy for this whole thing which is funny because he's the law in town so it seems like you could do this a lot easier than having to actually frame him with his own gun (laughs) right also, you don't necessarily have to shoot someone with his gun. You could have just framed him in many other different many ways. ways. And since you are the law, <laughs> right, right. But if he didn't do that, then we wouldn't get the one truly awesome head being shot with yeah, a shotgun true. scene, which is true. I, I, that came out yeah. of nowhere. I was like, wow, that was really good. Really good. <laughs> yeah, that, sh- that, that shot, that headshot was really nice. Yeah. And you needed it at that point. Yeah. You hadn't. <laughs> you'd invested a lot in that running time at that point, and you were like, "Whoo! Thank you for rewarding my efforts so far of watching this film by giving me that glorious headshot." Mm-hmm. But at that point in time, once that happens, that's when the nurse has to run away from the sheriff. Shouldn't she have had an easier time running away from the sheriff because the sheriff is not fit? Yeah. <laughs> I remember thinking that, like. How hard is it for her to outrun this fat ass? Yeah. I mean, come on. Also, I also thought, does she just wear that nurse's <laughs> outfit all the time when she's on the clock, mm-hmm. off the clock? Is that her only outfit? Mm-hmm. Other than that purple robe that she runs outside in, does she have nothing else to wear? Well, everybody in this movie dresses for who they are. Yeah. Jingo is always dressed like, like a badass <laughs> cowboy. Yeah. Homer wears like sweater vests and yeah. reads books on his stoop because he's like doesn't want anyone to forget he's the only teacher in town. Right. <laughs> he dresses <laughs> she dresses up like a nurse twenty four hours a day just in case anyone needs any nursing. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's, the, <laughs> there's also the, the 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 funny bit, like say when it when it all kind of kicks off, we've got 15, 10, 15 minutes left at that point after the headshot. And then it's the chase through the woods where the, the sheriff's clearly huffing and puffing. Uh, but it's yeah. also got the kind of really kooky psycho ripoff music as well, which yeah. which was really making me laugh. As it's like they've <laughs> saved all the big guns right for the end. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like. Once she finally gets saved by the deputy, she's like, I just, I loved him. I didn't know. Like, wait, you didn't see how this was all going to end up as a shit fest? Like, I was cracking up at her confession because I'm like, <laughs> I just thought that poisoning old people wouldn't turn out poorly and that taking their money and selling it to the mining company wasn't going to be so hurtful. Like, I mean, I thought it'd be okay because I love the sheriff, I mean, so I thought it would be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Sympathize for me. I had to yeah. kill a bunch of old people. So bad. <laughs> so bad for me. I'm the victim here. <laughs> You're still packing up about it. I thought that's what love meant. <laughs> when you love someone, you ruin old people's lives. Yeah. Take all their money and land. Yeah. And then you get rich from it. I thought that's what love was. 
<laughs> oh man. Also, gotta say, the sheriff's plan to frame Django. Django. I'm saying Django yeah. still. I still think it's Django. <laughs> His plan to frame Django goes instantly to shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, right as soon as he implements it, we get a beautiful headshot and then it's done. Your plan yeah. is ruined immediately. Wouldn't it have been cooler if they had had this happen a bit earlier and you could have like seen that he's out to get Jingo for a little bit longer instead of it just instantly like I'm going to frame him and this is what I'm going to do and then instantly it goes <laughs> it goes poorly and we're on to the end scene anyway like yeah. it doesn't it like it really felt like uh, we could have had that in the middle of the second act and really kind of added yeah. some tension to this movie outside of like will he or won't he hook back up with his old girlfriend you could you could really trim a lot of fat on this film and and still yeah. i mean it could be 60 minutes or so and, and still have the same kind of but like like you say is it's and i think that's one thing that a lot of these films tend to do is they give you a picture of what it actually kind of is like in these kind of rural backwards towns um it's like this, like the talent show is the biggest thing of the of the year. So you can kind of see on one hand why they they, they like to show these things. But I mean, the, the the thing with Lucy was only going to go one way. You don't need as many scenes as you had, and then the couple fun fumbling around as well. It, it's it's not really needed. Um, and we yeah. could have had more to do with 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 the end of the film and and flesh that out a bit more. Have a really strong back end half an hour, if you will, um, and and start to explore the themes that it's kind of laid out in a bit of a hacky manner up to that point. Yeah, it's like they set up a tense situation that immediately turns out to not be tense at all and turns out to be fine. Because then we have our big ending fight with the sheriff and Jingo in the mining, uh, the mine, I guess. The helium mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't say a lot during the, that fight, which is a shame because they probably would have all had that real funny, high-pitched voice. That would have been great. <laughs> You'll never get out of here alive. Where's the balloon? Oh, God. Uh, Eric also mentioned while we were watching this uh, that the movie starts with a car on fire and ends with a car on fire. So that's very poetic. But it angered her that this film, I don't know how you guys feel, but it angered her that this movie ends on a potato. A potato <laughs> toss. <laughs> Like everything they had set up ended in a like a potato. No way. Like <laughs> everything you're playing, you know, it's like you're they're riding away together. He made amends, you know, they're getting out of the town. But then potato, it was like, what's the felt like a trick. What what the film really needed was some kind of like mid credits, post credit scene. There's just a potato on a table and a fist coming down and banging it. It's like, it's the doctor. It's like, he will get revenge. He's like, coming soon. Black Oak 2. And the potato chronicles. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a jokey... It had like, you know, fun, silly elements, but it wasn't a jokey movie. No, no. No, but it ends on a joke, which is like, what? Yeah, the ending does feel like... It, the, the ending feels like a TV show. Yeah. Ending mm. versus a movie ending. Yeah. Um, and kind of ends with that, like you would almost expect there to be like the closing credits blooper reel with that kind of ending. Yeah. But um, yeah, I agree. Like that ending, I was like, really, we got all this way for a potato, a, a laughing, like, ha, you got me right. potato ending. That's, right. 
That's a long that's a long road to travel for that ending. Yeah. I think that perfectly segues us to things we loved and things we hated. That's right. We are going to talk about the things we loved and the things we hated about Black Oak Conspiracy. James, let's start with you. What's something that you loved from this movie? I, I do really kind of like the, the, the fight scenes. Um, the, the, there's one scene we didn't particularly touch upon, uh, and, it, and it's where Homer and Jingo go to one of the mines, and it's it's got some <laughs> the most pathetic security guard I think I've ever seen in a film who, who allows them through, and, and the boys end up rolling on him, and they have this scrapbook. Yes, I really yes. like those kind of dusty fights where everybody's just swinging arms all over the place. You don't know who you're connecting with. And it, it is a really good kind of little scrap that they have. Um, I, I like the real realistic ones because obviously not everyone's a professionally trained fighter as, as you see in a lot of films. So when there's a fight scene that looks like, yeah, I could have actually pictured myself being in that if a situation ever arose, um, that, that that was a real treat for me. Um, didn't like uh, prob- probably the pacing overall. I think if you're trying to sell a film, on a conspiracy within the film, you want to make that a bit more of a through line rather than something that they just go, oh, by the way, the conspiracy's here and I've solved it. There could have been a lot more to play around with um, in, in mm-hmm. terms of the conspiracy and and start bringing the doctor and, and Harris's father into it a bit more, um, and maybe a competent sheriff as well. <laughs> but I'm rewriting the film here as I go along. But <laughs> yeah, they, 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 they were definitely my two uh, ups and downs of the film. Yeah, it's a good point about that fight because... In the YouTube version that we watched, that fight scene literally becomes just a giant dust bowl. Mm. And you cannot you cannot see anything that's happening. <laughs> yeah. um, Mark, what's something that you loved and hated? Well, I, I kind of alluded to it already. I loved the El Camino. Um, I loved the, the fact that they did the El Camino on two wheels stunt for, for no good reason. Why that's even in there and how that was pulled off, it's never explained. But that was such a... 1970s car chase movie thing to do was to have a car driving on two wheels. I I just can only imagine that people in the 70s thought that was like the most incredible stunt you could pull off in a car, which it arguably is. Um, And they do it. So I really love that. I think one of the things that I didn't like is the ever evolving bandage on Jingo's face that he's, you know, he gets burned by a cigar and he's got this bandage, yes. but there wasn't a lot of care in making sure that the bandage always looked the same. It's it's like he's, uh, in between right. scenes, he's putting a new bandage on all the time. <laughs> and I thought, yeah. <laughs> did yeah. someone go, maybe we should figure out, maybe let's take a picture of what the bandage looks like in each scene so we can duplicate it. Nope. His, it's just always changing, always evolving. Well, it's on his face, and that's his moneymaker. <laughs> yeah, it's a stuntman. Erica, what's something that you, uh, something you loved, something you hated? Um, something that I loved, uh, I love two things. One thing is tiny and one thing is big. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, I loved when, towards the end, when they're, when Lucy and Jingo are saying their goodbyes and they say to Homer, come out and see us. Are you going to come see us? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> I laughed <laughs> so hard. I love that so much because it was like, I don't know. It wasn't like, yeah, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> or like, I'm trying. He literally was just We're like, in most movies. You bet. I love just how real it was. I'm like, I don't know. I, yeah. I really, I'm not going to commit to a visit. Yep. I don't know when I will see you again. I got a lot of drinking to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I absolutely loved the song. 
the opening song when That's we right. first when he's kind of driving when Dingo's driving into the town. Um, that song, by the way, is Don Peake wrote the did the score. Phil Ever Everly of the Everly Brothers sings that song because Don Peake was uh, the lead guitarist for the Everly Brothers. Wow. Um, but I could not find the song online. So, Erica, do you mind giving us a little bit of it? You want me to sing it? Yeah. Because I've been obsessed with it. Yeah. I don't feel like I can do it justice, though. I'm not an Everly. But it's, uh, it is tough, but I feel like you did it all right. She sings the song. She sang the song, like, all weekend long. Constantly. But I loved it. It was just like, never love a cowboy, because they never stay. They were born to be wild and free. Cowboys right away. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's so yeah. deep. I loved it. I absolutely love that song and I can't I couldn't stop singing it ever since we we uh watched Don Peak is a wild musical career and he's composed a lot. He doesn't do the theme song for Knight Rider, but he does the music for all the episodes for like years. So he's done like a lot of composing and he obviously worked with the Everly brothers and, uh, and, and he's like had a incredible wild career. So yeah, I don't yeah. blame you. That was this o opening and closing song. The uh, opening credits and closing credits is, is that is Jingo's yeah. Jingo's Jingo song, song. Jingo um, song, which yeah. is just impossible. To, I couldn't find it online. Yeah. It's but anyway, too, well, it's too good. It's you too just good. have to hear it That's in right. the movie and then remember <clears throat> it forever. But things that I hated, um, I think the thing I hated the most about this movie was that it was just visually boring to watch. Oh, yes. Yeah. It felt like Same. they set up the camera, did the shot, set up the camera, did the shot. There was no movement with it. There was no POV. There was no tone. There was no, it just was like literally shooting scene to scene to scene. It was very just visually kind of dull. Well, that's uh, maybe some blame goes to Chris Ludwig, who was the DP but he also shot, oh, uh, nothing else. Um, <laughs> this is it. This is all he did. According to IMDb, this is it. Um, also, in um, in an interview with Shock Cinema, Jesse Venn actually said that, uh, I fell into the trap of using veterans who have been working in television forever. These guys, bar none, they had no enthusiasm for the project. They were only waiting to pick up their checks and get the hell home to figure out the overtime and every other goddamn thing. So... He's kind of plagued by a lot of TV folks. And this looks like a TV movie. Like, this looks like, yeah. it absolutely looks yeah. very plain and ordinary. It was exactly the same thing for me. I did not like the way that this looked. It looked really, the ending with the mining quarry looks okay. But I have to say, because it's such a unique yes, location. Yes, I have to hand that on the location, not on yeah. the way they shot it. And as a matter of fact, when the car goes over, the, over and lands, which is definitely the most dynamic shot they have, they then don't cut in to them having the fist fight. You no. see the fist fight from a very long distance, the start of Jingo and the sheriff fighting each other. And it's like, wh why aren't we cutting in? It's like, yeah. they're so enamored with their one good shot. They're like, well, let's just keep this going for a while because it's the only good shot we have in the whole film. Yeah. Something that I loved real quick was uh, I love that orderly at the nursing home. Once Jingo finds out that his mother has passed, he grabs the orderly and pins him against the <laughs> yeah. wall. And the guy just gives him a look of, such forgiving and yeah. compassionate eyes. Like, he's just like, and I thought, is this the only good guy in town? Yeah. <laughs> is this the only good person oh. in this entire place? Well, the, the way I read that too, is that, I, I read, the way I read that too, is that's not the first time the orderly has been pinned up against a wall. Yeah. It seems to be <laughs> right. just probably the right. common response of everybody that comes into that nursing home. <laughs> been trained to just freeze and stay still. 
whenever he gets pinned up against the wall to just to just chill out. And yeah, eventually they're going to realize yeah. that this will pass. Keep your hands down. Don't put your hands up. Keep your hands down. Just let it go. <laughs> the other thing I love too was that I love that the police in this movie like never shout freeze. They always just start with a warning shot. <laughs> That's how they solve almost every situation. Yeah. Just like, Pew! hey, uh, you're going a little fast. <laughs> I mean, it's like they're just always using a gun, which I guess. Um, I'd, I'd say one of the biggest conspiracies of the film is that the deputy is probably the sheriff's son or like a bastard son of his. Like, yeah, let's yeah. let's go into there because there's a lot of potential, to be honest. Oh, and, uh, but there yeah. you go. My, my little tidbit there for you to take away. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, definitely a much more interesting take than the entire movie had. So. <laughs> um, let's get into our favorite scene. Mark, uh, what's your favorite scene? Um, definitely the talent show. Because when, when that when that woman goes up there with the helium tank and starts singing uh, uh, Old MacDonald, the expression on the crowd, they're like, fuck me, why did I come to the talent show? And I felt for everyone in that audience because, and then they do the kazoos and I'm like, wow, this has got, this is miserable. Uh, <laughs> but I found that to be a, a charming slice of life moment. We've all been to a, to a kid's musical or a talent show of some kind and been like, how long is this going to last? Do they serve drinks here? Is there so like how can I get out of this as quickly as possible? By the way, who do you think won that talent show? The helium girl. You think the helium girl? I don't know. I'm going to kazoo. I'm going to the kazoo. I think, the, I think I'm going with the kazoo, kazoo trio. <laughs> They're the masters of the kazoo. That's like oh, obvious man. talent. Um, they do have kazoos in England, right? That's that's yeah, not a terribly yeah, yeah, yeah. of course, yeah. 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 I don't know why I thought that's a uniquely American yeah. item all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> Kazoos aren't allowed just anywhere. <laughs> that's just for us here in the United States. Yeah, if you come to the UK with a kazoo, you're going to get stopped at customs. They're not allowed in. To, <laughs> we'll, we'll desecrate our musical legacy. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. We don't allow this sort of contraband into the yeah. United Kingdom. <laughs> uh, Erica, your favorite scene? Uh, honestly, I really, I had a couple of favorite scenes. Anytime there was, you know, kind of the close-up one-on-one or two-on-one fist fights, I thought those were all really good. Yeah. You know, that fist fight that Jingo first gets into at the, at the kitchen after he drops her, after he drops her off and that we kind of reference where he gets in the fight with the meathead, you know, yep, sleeveless yep. quarry guy. It looked great. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what was so disappointing about them not zooming in to him fighting with the sheriff and all that, because they're really, their fight, their close-up fight scenes looked really good. It's also the only time we ever meet anyone that, that actually works for the mining company, which yeah. you have to think presumably most of the town does yeah. because it's the only action going on. That and the extremely lucrative nursing home. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but, uh, but like, that's the only time we ever see anybody that actually works in the mine. So mm -hmm. Good, good. But I really, I really like those fist fight scenes. They look great. Yeah, look I would, great. I would assume that might be yours as well, James. Um, I, well, yeah, I, I, I would actually pick something different just, just because Eric. Oh, okay, has. good. Yes. Um, okay. But it would have been the fight scenes. But I, I really, I, I mean, I love Seymour uh, Cassell. Uh, obviously, we got into him via Wes Anderson films, and then went back and watched his Casabetti stuff as well. And he's trying to elevate 
the script into something that it's not just with his kind of very kind of matter of fact um, method acting and just the reveal on on the drugs itself just made me, I was howling. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. So that, that's definitely more, probably my favorite of the film, how just some no mark professor can all, all of a sudden be some like chemical genius by going to the labs <laughs> in his school. So that, that was definitely mine. Yeah. Um, this was sort of a last minute call for me, but I'm going to have to say my favorite scene is really any scene with Harrison. Cause I just didn't realize yeah, you are. I didn't realize I am. I didn't realize I was team Harrison, but I, I guess I am. So Robert F. Lyons. Well done, pal. I'm a fan of you. Burn, burn that motherfucker with that cigar. I mean, love that man. Wow. Love him. Wow. Yeah. Love that Harrison. He's misunderstood. All right, let's get into our final questions. Uh, these are our final questions for Black Oak Conspiracy. How did uh, Jingo go from Ralph to Jingo? Any ideas? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how does because, that work? How do, you, uh, how do you grow up Ralph Johnson and you just go to Jingo? How does that work? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm stumped. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, all right. Yeah, me too. Yeah. This is maybe less a question and more just something I learned, but do all small town diner cooks just keep a pistol handy? <laughs> At the midget kitchen, they do. Because he was legitimately the name of the kitchen. I'm not oh, it's called the home. midget kitchen? Yeah. Oh, God, I didn't the even see that. The center of the door says midget kitchen. Wow. Which I only noticed in our watching of the second on Shout Factory. Yeah, you <laughs> could not see it. that in the YouTube version. The no. Um, why was Jingo watching like that youth baseball game? <laughs> just sitting on his car. Did anyone? Do you remember that? It's like a just one second. They just show him sitting on the hood of his car watching a like kids play a base baseball game. What was he doing? <laughs> Probably because before he went off to be a, a Hollywood stuntman. Um, not only much money, he was he was the next hot shit, like a, a kind of Kenny Powers a baseball star that never never quite be. Uh, you never know. There, there you go. Let's go with that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so he was sitting on the hood of his car judging. Judging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These kids are shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, how could anyone get horny with like a comatose lady just staring right at you? <laughs> It's probably been a while for him. Maybe he's not getting much in LA. <laughs> well, no, that's not that's not Jingo. I'm talking about the sheriff. Yeah. Oh, of course, when he comes of course. In, yeah, God, sorry. In front of Jingo's mom. In yeah. front of Jingo's mom, he starts really trying to to. He wants to, presumably it looks like he wants to have sex with the nurse right there, while Jingo's mom's just kind of giving him a death stare, yeah. which I would think is would be a turnoff. But, or is this just another interpretation of what a coma boner is? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. He, he wanted to dip his toes into uh, having someone watch him have sex, but he didn't want to, he, he was too nervous to ask someone that wasn't already comatose. So it was like, this is a good, this is a, a leap towards where I want to go in my sexual adventures without it be yeah. the embarrassment of someone saying, wait, you want me to watch you have sex? What, what are you talking about? I imagine the deputy has been asked to watch that many times. But now that he is 
his bastard son? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, so, so Jingo had to look inside his car in order to see that his mounted gun in the back of his car was gone? Thank you. Uh, yeah, that was really Couldn't cool. he see it from through the window? walking through the window as he walked from behind? Yeah. I remember us watching that, and he's like, my gun's gone. And I was like, no, he you had to look into the car and go, my gun's gone. Like, you can see it from you the back. <laughs> right? Or no? Uh, I think El Caminos have a back window cloaking device that will prevent <laughs> you from seeing the gun. You know, it can hide the gun at any time. So the only way you really know is by looking in. Also, a lot of El Caminos at that time had a shotgun um, uh, silk screen that you could put on the back window so it looked like you had a shotgun, but mm. you really didn't. Ooh. That was very popular in the 70s. And so, uh, you know, you can understand him having to do a, a double take and just make sure, is it truly gone or am I, or is the silk screen fooling me? All right. Um, at the end of the movie, Jesse Vince says that he hates the end of the movie because he was talked out of ha allowing it's supposed to be originally the ending of the movie was supposed to be a big uh, uh, gunfight at the, at the quarry. And he was convinced by the director to not do it. The director came up to him and said, no, nah, we don't need it. You got to trust me. I've done a lot of episodes of Charlie's angels and stuff. Like you just let me, you got to trust me. This is your first script. Like I know what I'm doing. Just trust me. I'm the veteran here. So he said, okay, but he was uh, still mad about it because he's like, well, that decision, that I let him make now falls on me. And I am the one who has to like live with that and doesn't like it. Do you guys agree or disagree? Should that have been a gunfight or were you okay with the fist fight? I th I th there's, there's not an awful lot of gunplay in the film, to be honest. I think a fist fight would have sufficed. We, I mean, we only really get the headshot and that that's pretty much it, which, you know, as, as we've all said, kind of took us all back because it com came completely out of nowhere. You were expecting the, the sheriff to use the shotgun as some kind of uh, intimidation technique and just blows his bloody head off. So um, it just didn't keep in, in, in line with the overall feel. A, f a fist fight would have been absolutely fine to me. Mark, what do you think? Agree? I agree. I agree. There's a lot of... This, is, this movie starts and ends as a very fist-fighting movie. Uh, and, you know, it, it does kind of call or hearken to that time. We don't really have movies now that spend a lot of time on fistfights. It's all gunplay. But in the 70s, there were a lot more like just people getting into fistfights. And so I feel like it, it totally fit with the tone of the movie to have it be a fistfight in the end. Yeah. yeah. Erica? Yeah, totally agree. I think it would have been weird if it was a gunfight. Because for one, he had already taken J Jingo's gun. So where would he have gotten a gun right, to begin with? Right. So I was totally fine with it being a fist fight. I just wish they would have kind of shot it a little bit differently to yeah. to let us see that. It, I also think you get that moment where the sheriff sort of shoots around him and he sort of backs him into a corner. And then he mentions that I backed you into a corner just in case anybody was confused. But uh, like you wouldn't have had that if Jingo had had a gun. He wouldn't have been... And then the car coming over the cliff, I have to imagine, even in the original script where it's a gunfight, the sheriff's car being run over the cliff by Homer, I have to imagine it's still the distraction that allows Jingo to be able to take down the sheriff. Yeah. So I imagine that's always still going to be there. That was always there. Yeah. But now he just has to beat the guy up and then doesn't kill him. He doesn't kill the sheriff. Now the sheriff gets caught. So I don't know. 
would it have been cooler if he had killed the sheriff? I don't know. I kind of liked that he didn't kill him. I liked I liked that he yeah. just ended up getting caught. Imagine that he killed the sheriff at the end and blows the sheriff away. And then the, the deputy comes in and says, hey, stop it, Jingo. And then we still end with him driving away and gets a potato in the exhaust. <laughs> what, what an even higher weird tone shift. Um, well, that's it for final questions. Let's get into a little bit of research here real quick. By the way, this movie was released, obviously, in 1977. It's a month after Too Hot to Handle and the same month as Moonshine County Express and a couple months from Grand Theft Auto, Rabid, and Thunder and Lightning. So, again, this is a high time right now that uh new world is doing a lot of these exploitation films this is like a you know they're they're really working hard on this stuff also vint raised this mo- the money with a couple from tulsa oklahoma that's where he's from oklahoma he and alan but they shot the movie in northern california for a little under three hundred thousand dollars um i mentioned he had a lot of trouble uh making this not just with the tv crew but he also mentioned in this uh, shock cinema interview that i read that his editor um, I can't I can't tell from IMDb which one this is because he says they they had to kind of slowly get rid of this guy and bring in another guy. So I don't know which was the culprit, but he said that the editor essentially blackmailed him. So I'm going to quote him here. He said, I had an editor who turned out to be proficient at milking the system. He said, um, I, I need severance pay. Severance pay for what? After a while, I realized he was just a burden drinking all day long. Seven. Uh, I always get severance pay. This isn't a union job. I don't care. He said. You'll never put this film together without me because you won't be able to find the pieces. He was holding me hostage. He was the only person who knew that he uh, what he'd done with the film. He had all this coded stuff set up in advance, which is one of the tricks he'd learned over the years. I had to pay severance pay plus every other thing to, to bring in a new editor so he could locate all the pieces. I realized then why Roger Corman hires young people because they still love the business. Hmm. Wow. Um, then he also tells a pretty funny story in um, this other book I have called uh, New World and Oral History, Volume 2. We talked about uh, Seymour Cassell. For one, he said that Seymour um, obviously did a great job and everything else, but um, much like his character, he also had a drinking issue. And he had he really tied it on one night, and they were all on set waiting for him. They were like, where is he? And he said he had to like tear off to his hotel and drive over there and bang on the door and Seymour was like open the door and he had been asleep still. And he's like, what are you doing? We're all on set. You got to get up. And he was like, Oh, okay. 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 Hey, go get me a cup of coffee and, and I'll get ready. And he's like, okay, great. Goes and gets him a cup of coffee, comes back. Seymour has closed the door again and gone back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> so he has to like threaten him, bang on the door. He's like, man, I'm going to tear your ass up if you don't open this door. And he's like, okay, chill out. He's like, chill out, man. Fine. Just give me the coffee. Let's go. But then he said the, the that that scene where he drives the police car off the road that that they basically he he goes to set and he sees like a guy dressed up like him and he's like who's that guy and he's like Seymour that's your that's your stunt double he's like oh I don't need a stunt double I'll do it all myself right <laughs> and he's like what do you mean like you know uh, nobody you know we don't all do in our own stunts pretty much like it, it, you know you got to have a stunt double. And he's like, you're not doing your own stunts. And he says, no, 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 I, I got to do it. I got to do it. Let me do it, right? And so finally he says, okay, okay, fine. You know what? We're just going to do it. We're going to shoot it. And he basically says like, hey, don't even roll the camera. Just let's have him do this. Let's pretend we're shooting it, basically, is what Jesse tells the cameraman. So he says, Seymour f- fell out and hit the ground, hit the ground like a sack of flour. <laughs> he stood up. <laughs> 
He stood up and I said, that was great, Seymour. I didn't know you had it in you. You're a hell of a man. We're just shocked. Uh, he did his two lines. I put him in the car and sent him back to the motel. Then we get the stuntman to do the job. And the stuntman jumps out of the car doing 25 or 35 per hour. He's all padded up. He's got knee pads, shoulder pads. He has a pretty regular stunt. And then they go to the screening of the film. And Seymour is sitting two seats away from me. And I'm feeling bad because he's afraid that Seymour is going to see the scene and go, man, I wanted to do the stunt. But basically, he sees the scene, and Seymour reaches around his wife, taps me on the shoulder, and says, See? You see, I did a great job there, Jess. <laughs> he turns to his wife and says, I did that, honey. I did that stunt. That's me. And I said, Oh, Seymour, such a hero. He actually believed he did that wow. stunt. I was totally Aww. astonished because I thought he was going to jump and say, You tricked me, man. Uh, also, by the way, in the same uh, shock cinema, um, Jesse Vince says that he basically uh, had a, his relationship with Roger Corman sort of sour just a little bit because at a sci-fi convention, he called uh, Corman the Earl Shive of the motion picture business. <laughs> yep. I will paint any car for $99. <laughs> also, um, after doing Death Sport, uh, Jesse had a, a six-month affair with Claudia Jennings. Didn't know that. Hmm. Also, in this book, An Oral History, Volume 2, he talks about how he was very good friends with David Carradine. They did a movie that Steve Carver directed in between this, where he was uh, not just right around the time they did Desport. And there, again, he he wasn't sure that they would be friends, and he was kind of worried about his reputation, but they actually got on really well and became very good friends. Then um, he talked about how he had just passed away, he, that he did pass away in 2009. And he does not buy that this was this, you know, self-asphyxiation uh, that he did sort of as a as a sexual thing, which is sort of the story. And it's, he says that basically it really pisses him off that um, that this is the story that people run with because he says, I don't buy it. Because he said that he was shooting this movie, I believe, in like Thailand. And he said that there were like gangs that would like kidnap actors and say, hey, we want a bunch of money in order to give the actor back and you got to give us a hundred, couple hundred thousand dollars. And they didn't want to get that story out because if they got that, if that story got out to the press, that people wouldn't want to go there and shoot films. Wow. So they probably, he thinks that they basically went to his hotel room and said, you got to give us a bunch of money. And he was like, no, fuck you. I'm not going to. And they killed him. Cause he said, David Carradine was like a legit tough guy. Like he was a weird guy and had a lot of weird shit to say. But that he was like, I, I've known him for years. I've known him through several marriages. Like, it, and we were good friends for a long time. He was like, if this was something he was into, I feel like I would have some hint of it hmm. just due to their friendship. And he's like, and I, it's never come up. It's never a thing. Now, I would also say personal kinks are maybe something that don't come up to even your closest of friends. So who knows? <laughs> but, but like, it's an interesting theory that he's like, I, he was just, really angry that this is like what people walk away with when they think of David Carradine's passing mm -hmm. and that he doesn't buy it. So would you mm -hmm. say that's a David Carradine conspiracy? Hey! <laughs> ah, that's a perfect closer. Uh, this has been uh, black Oak conspiracy. James, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you very much. And also everybody, please listen to his podcast, the iron sequel. Um, what, what movie, what uh, are you guys talking about coming up? Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, next episode is with Brett from the American Genre Film Archive, and we're talking yes. Police Academy. <laughs> yes. So, I, now, are you talking about the entire, all the sequels, or just? Well, the plan was yes initially, but 
due to time because of the a majority of my guests recently have been LA based. So there's yeah. obviously trying to fit that in with time zones and what people have got going on. Uh, and I usually try and stick to about a two hour limit. And I just thought five sequels is going to go all over the place. So <laughs> we had a bit of a back and forth on email. So we're going to do two, um, which is where I think it really starts to ramp up. And what I think we'll do a, a kind of concise um, whistle stop tour through the rest, but we'll just see how we go. I think is, is the main thing. Yeah. I was trying to bite off a bit more of that and chew. Uh, well, that is awesome. I can't wait to listen to that. Thank uh, you. We enjoy talking movies with you as well, James. So thank you so much for, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Anytime. Um, and so find Iron Sequel and find us. Give both of us uh, five-star reviews <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and help us out. Um, also, write us at info at newworldpodcast.com with any questions. We will read them on uh, potential bonus episodes that are coming up. And we will see you next time on the New World Pictures Podcast. See you next time. Never love a cowboy. Cause cowboys never stay. They're born to be wild and free. Cowboys ride away. <laughs> <laughs>